Well, good morning. Good morning. It's, it's the start of spring break, and so we have some of our, yeah, the parents are excited in a way because the kids are home, which is good for a couple of days. And then next week I'm going to say it's the end of spring break, and I'm going to hear a woohoo on that side as well. <laughs> well, hey, here's the thing. I, I think we can all understand and agree that before we start any sort of a project or if we were to, to step out in some venture in life, there's a couple of really important steps that we need to engage in first. And, and one of them is to take an inventory. Take an inventory of resources that we have on hand. For example, I'll use the really common example perhaps of baking a cake. If you want to bake a cake, one of the first things you need to do is you need to take inventory of the ingredients that you need to bake that cake. Uh, flour, sugar, butter, chocolate, because the best cakes are chocolate, right? And I'm not sure what else actually goes in a cake because I've only ever had the, like, the mix in the water. I'm not sure it actually <laughs> goes in a cake. But you need to take inventory to make sure you have all the ingredients for that cake. But that's not where it stops. You actually need to take an inventory of something like time. Do I have enough time to go through all of this steps and procedures needed for this? You know, if you look at a recipe, there's quite often instructions for how much time for preparation, how much time for cooking, maybe even how much time for cooling before you put the icing on. Because if you don't cook it long enough, it's just, it's just goo. And if you don't wait for it to cool before you put your icing on, it, it just gets kind of nasty and crumbly all over the top. But then you also need to take inventory of your ability. Do I have the ability to successfully complete this recipe? Or should I go back to the mix and the water and the light bulb and the easy bake oven? Is that more my ability level? Or can I, can I actually go through on this seven layer malted chocolate drip cake that I'm looking at the recipe for? And if you put all these pieces together, if you go through the inventories, you have the ingredients, you have the time, you have the ability. At the end of the project, when you look at that cake, you're going to say, I nailed it. Right? As you look at that finished product, I nailed it. Have you ever said that? Maybe not about a cake. Maybe about uh, a, a play in a sports, uh, something at work, uh, at home, a project at home. You're building something. You got to the end, you step back, and you're like, nailed it. Well, that phrase actually is uh, the title of a rather popular show that's on Netflix right now, maybe you've seen, called Nailed It. <clears throat> and, and if you haven't seen it, if you're not familiar with it, what this show is, it's a series of programs of home bakers who come to try to recreate edible masterpieces that professional bakers have put together. Uh, I'll give you an example. Sort of like, like this wintry cottage. So beautiful cake. The whole thing is edible. And so on this TV show, these home bakers come and they try to duplicate that with all the proper ingredients, limited time, and sometimes limited ability. And the end results are like this. And they go, nailed it. Or maybe not. It looks like that one might be condemned. <laughs> There's another uh, example of, of the shark. That's an edible cake. Looks like a shark that's been caught. But the home baker has more of a throwback. You probably wouldn't want to keep that shark, maybe close to a nuclear power plant or something. <laughs> then you have this uh, nice little donut cake, a pirate, kind of a donut round pirate type thing. Um, I'm not sure if they got the order right, if they cooked this one after it was decorated. But they nailed it. <laughs> and then there's, uh, this is a nice one, nice simple, should be pretty straightforward, simple, uh, throw a kiss kind of emoji face. But this is only a face a mother could love, <laughs> as they nailed it. 
on that one as well. You know, when it comes to uh, teams of people, actually, we do some of these similar things where we need to take an inventory of, of our team. We think about the resources, the capabilities that exist within a group of people. Th this happens in sports a lot. Uh, we can think uh, of the Oilers, for example, this year. Even if you're not a sports fan, you probably have heard that it's not an another great year for us. And there's this ongoing search for, for what's the winning combination, what are the right ingredients we need to put together if we're going to nail it as a team and win. And, and so they've been going through this search this year, which has had nine trades and 18 free agents and two coaches and two GMs and, and a whole long search yet to happen in the offseason. But there's also, uh, maybe if you had seen a movie called Moneyball back in 2011, based upon a book written a few years earlier, uh, that, that's about this. And, and about what happens is when you're trying to find the right ingredients for a team, there's been this rise of what's referred to as analytics. Analytics in sports. Uh, these are basically statistics where we have to look at stats to know what are the right people to recruit, to trade, to train, to develop, to put the right people in the right positions. And this movie, Moneyball, is about the Oakland Athletics, a professional baseball team that had success through the use of analytics. Now, they're asking themselves the question, what are the key ingredients to a winning baseball team? Is it a lot of home run hitters? Is it having the best pitchers in the league? And they came to conclude that all these things and others are important, but the number one key statistic is having a high on-base percentage. That if you got more runners on base, you'll have more chance of scoring runs. You score more runs, you win more games. And so they started drafting in that direction. The rest of the league was drafting the high-priced home run hitters, the high-priced pitchers, spending hundreds of millions of dollars on these players, while the Oakland Athletics look at the analytics, and they started spending a limited budget on undervalued talent. Now, the end result of this, it's a very good movie. Uh, sorry, I'm bad, Brad Pitt, if you like him. It's a very good movie, and at the end of, the, uh, at the end of this building of a team, it started a little rough, but they then went on an American League record-setting 20-game win streak. The next year, they won the division championship, and then they appeared in the World Series with this underdeveloped, underrated, sorry, underrated team that they're working with. And it changed the sports world forever. This use of looking at analytics. Now, this is not a new concept, actually, and you might be surprised to hear that it's even somewhat of a biblical principle that we can look at Scripture to find. Because if we go back to 1 Samuel chapter 8, we find Israel at a time when they are a theocracy, meaning that, that God had, had kind of called them and rescued them from Egypt and taken them through the, through the desert into the promised land. They had become established, and they are now living in the promised land under this governmental system, under the rule of God, as God would speak to them through prophets. And they're living under this theocracy for quite a while. But the day comes when they look around and they see that all the other nations around them have kings. They're like, hey, we haven't got a king. We need a king. So they go to Samuel, who's the prophet of the day, and they say, Samuel, we want a king now. And so as you read through 1 Samuel 8, Samuel goes to God, and God says, fine, give him a king. They don't know what they're asking for, but if they want a king, give him a king. So they go out and they find this man named Saul. Saul becomes the first king of Israel. And Saul is young, he's tall, he's handsome, he has, he has this kingly appearance. He is fit, he is legit, and, and he is the envy of all other nations and their kings. Now, if you were to read the rest of the story, you can go home this afternoon in 1 Samuel chapter 8 and reading forward. You can finish reading the story for yourself. But what you find out is it didn't work out very well for Israel and Saul. 
Saul disobeys God, and Saul ends up being rejected by God. So God directs Samuel to go find another king. And this time, Samuel is pointed towards a small boy named David. Now, David wasn't too shabby himself, but he's this young man who would grow to one day be a great king. Now, here's the point. The point in this is that God used different analytics than the nation of Israel did. God used different analytics than we quite often do. We see this in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, where it says this. But God said, the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, speaking of David. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearances, but the Lord looks at the heart. And David, who would go on to be one of the greatest kings in history, is said to have had a heart that was after God. Those are the things that God looked at. You see, the analytics that we use to take inventory of ourselves, uh, the analytics we use to take inventory of other people, is different quite often than what God sees, than what God looks at. The things that we quite often default towards in evaluating ourselves and other people have this tendency to be used to disqualify, to say, well, this is why I can't. This is why they shouldn't. And, it, and it's this evaluation of a person's quality, usefulness, and capabilities that leads to disqualification. I'm too young. I'm too old. I don't have the right education. I haven't been a believer of Jesus long enough. I have past sins that, that wouldn't allow me to, to be involved in that. I haven't got the right last name to be involved in that. These are things that we quite often look at that we use to disqualify ourselves. But God uses different analytics. Now, I would be lying to you if I told you that everybody is suitable for everything. That, that's not the point I'm trying to make. Because there are some roles that some of us are not a good fit for. Like when I first started out as a pastor, I was the pastor of adult ministries. And so I oversaw a broad, broader range uh, of different uh, life groups, connect groups, serve groups, and, and all sorts of things in between. And a couple of years in, one of my key volunteers resigned, this particular lady who was the head of our women's ministry department. And I am suddenly the head of women's ministry. Now, you don't need to look at me very long to understand I have certain disadvantages to being the head of women's ministries. I'm not properly equipped, you could say, to be the head of women's ministries. But just because I wasn't equipped to run that ministry forever didn't mean that I was unable to do anything. And priority one became finding a, a woman that we could raise up who could be the head of that ministry that, that me and some other people could speak into so that she could lead that ministry. You see, while not every place is for everyone, everyone has a place. I want to say that again. That's one of the important things you can hear today. While not every place is for everyone, everyone has a place. And so when leadership here at West Meadows was trying to discern what are the core values, what are the things that are going to guide our actions and reveal our priorities going forward, we very quickly all unanimously agreed that our greatest resource, if we're to take inventory of what we have going for us, our greatest resource is our people. You folks, you and you and you and you and even the people in the balcony are our greatest resource. And therefore, our fifth core value that we want to look at today and examine today is this. Empowering people where we foster a culture where everyone's gifts contribute to serve others and to glorify God. Empowering people, our greatest resource. Fostering a culture where everyone's gifts contribute to serve others and glorify God. 
Now, we not only want you to thrive in your service to others, we not only want you to glorify God in those things, we actually need you to. It goes beyond wanting to. We need you to do that. You see, as we've been discussing throughout the series, we as a church have a mission. And that mission is for us to be a church that invites other people to experience that life is better with Jesus. Now, inherent to that statement are certain philosophical and theological positions as to how we do ministry. Now, when I talk about our philosophy of ministry, this is basically explaining the reason, uh, the reason why we do things a certain way. It's the why behind the what. When we talk about a theology of ministry, it's, it's the scriptural basis for why we do things a certain way. Now, some churches you might be familiar with and maybe even have participated in the past have a philosophy where only paid people do ministry. And everyone else as part of the church is a recipient of the work that the paid people do. Now, there might be a few trained lay leaders who are specially trained and equipped to assist the paid people. But for the most part, those in the congregation just receive the ministry, receive the work of the paid staff that are appointed there. You typically find this in high tradition, high liturgy churches with a very well-established and defined hierarchy that exists. But that's not the theology and it's not the philosophy that is common in evangelical churches, for example, like ours. Instead, we operate by a philosophy along this lines, that we are not a minister in a congregation, but we are a ministering congregation. See the difference there? We're not a minister in a congregation. We are a ministering congregation. Now, obviously, we do hire and pay people to do the work of the church because, well, here I am. And so that's a, a point on that. However, the work that our paid staff are to do is specific and it is limited. It is primarily limited to running kind of the business side of the church. But then on a ministry side, it's limited to, to calling, equipping, and sending others to do ministry. Calling, equipping, and sending others to be doing ministry. To give you a quick example, Pastor Luke is the head of our life group ministry, of, of, our, of our group's ministry. He doesn't go and run all the life groups. He calls up, trains, and then empowers leaders of life groups who then go lead people who come to their group in the congregation. There's a few steps that happen in that process. Kelsey provides oversight to our Sunday school, to our children's ministry. She tries not to teach a class on a weekly basis, instead to call up people, to recruit people, to empower them be, to be the ones that do the teaching. Ben, Ben could stand up here with a stool and a guitar each week and just sing and play his guitar. He, he could just do that by himself, week after week after week. But that's not the philosophy and the theology of ministry that we operate by, which is why instead, every week you see different musicians. You see a team aspect to worship leading as he calls up and mentors musicians and worship leaders on a regular basis. Throughout the church, we saw it this past week. Uh, on Friday night, this weekend was very busy for ministry. We had our young families who held a, a, a game show night here. We had our Zoomers who pulled together a number of people for a dessert night. See, all of these are ways that we have empowered leaders to organize and to do ministry within the church and beyond. Now, that's the philosophy of our ministry, but it actually has a scriptural basis as well. And the scriptural basis is found in Ephesians chapter 4. Where, it's, where Paul writes this to the church in Ephesus. He says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for what? Can we say works of service? 
Works of service. To equip his people for what? Works of service. So that the body of Christ may be built up. You see, this passage identifies that there are special leadership positions in the church. But it's not establishing a hierarchy. That, that's not what this passage is about. It's not saying there's a hierarchy in the church in this particular area. It's saying that there are special leadership positions in the church. That there are those people who have a God-given call to lead and guide, to advance ministries, to proclaim the good news, and to teach people. But what is the primary focus? What is the purpose? To equip their people for, for what? For works of service so that they can assist and direct the church the church as a whole, and fulfilling its God-given mission. Now, Paul wrote about the church a lot. And this is just one example of where he writes about it. In fact, in all the writings that we find from Paul, he talks about the church 114 times. Now, 24 of those times, he's talking about the universal church, meaning all believers from all times, like, like everyone who's going to be in heaven. Universal church, 24 times. The other 90 times he uses the word church, he's talking about the local church. He's talking about individuals of a common faith who are brought together by God. He's talking about us. 90 times he's talking about us as a local church. And generally speaking, when he talks about the local church, he's saying that all of you who are part of a local church, you have roles, responsibilities, and callings that need to be discovered, that need to be developed, that you need to strive to achieve within the context of the church. And, and there's two main areas that this leads to. Number one, one of the main purposes is to build up the church. It says at the end of that passage on the screen. Now you may have heard this word build up also referred to as edification. If you've heard that word edification before, it's synonymous with this idea of building up. It, it means to strengthen, to improve, to empower one another. And I think to some degree, we've probably all experienced this in our lives at one point or another. Maybe professionally, perhaps recreationally, maybe at school, in a church, maybe at a personal mentor. But the idea being is some situation in your life where there is a person or a group of people who spoke into your life. And they would affirm the things that were going well. They would, they would correct or, or chisel off kind of the rough edges that may exist in your life. And that they would trust you. They would give you some responsibilities that were appropriate to the stage you're at to allow you to own that. And the result, you developed. You developed in your ability. You developed in your confidence. And as you grew and as you got better, so too did the people around you. And the end result was that the team, the organization, the business, the family, the school, whatever it was, got better, stronger, and it improved. That's why we believe that people... You folks are our greatest resource because it's amazing what can happen when we are brought together and built up in the name of Christ. That's why we want to foster a culture where everyone's gifts, everyone's gifts contribute to serve each other, but also to glorify God. And the end result of this is not just a stronger church. That's one of the important outcomes of this is, is being built up, the edification of the body. That's one of the important things, but it's, that's not the end. Where it also extends to then is a church that is built up is also a church that reaches out for the edification of others. So we are built up to reach out. Because when the local church is unified in faith and when it is unified in mission and it's built up, it is strong. And that strength 
And that conviction impels us to fulfill the mission of Jesus Christ that he has given to all of us. So we are built up for the purpose to reach out. Earlier this week, I received an email from one of our missionaries in uh, Indonesia. Uh, some people are probably familiar to us, Yost and Cheryl Pickard. And in this email they sent to, to myself, probably a few other people on the missions team too, they're asking for prayers because they're suddenly in a spot where they are taking leadership roles in responding to a flood and landslide crisis in their area. And in Yost's email to us, I, I just thought, you know, he it just so epitomizes what it looks like to lead in a way that empowers others that reaches out. And so let me share with you what he wrote in his email, and you can see what this looks like, practically speaking. He says this, The past week has been one of the wildest of my 57 years. We are presently taking care of about 2,000 refugees that showed up at our office complex after a flash flood and landslide that flooded or wiped out several villages. And he says, I am now in charge of the refugee crisis. Leader, I am now in charge of the refugee crisis. It has been a challenge to feed clothe and shelter 2,000 people, but God has been more than generous. Imagine, 6,000 meals a day. Cheryl and I were aware of the crisis. We showed up with food and had we had in our house to help someone. By the end of the day, we fed 400 people with the food that people just started donating to the cause. We now have a team of, leadership team of nine people, empowerment, leadership to empowerment. We now have a leadership team of nine people who are responsible for different departments, healthcare, food, distribution, clothing, data, etc. Through them, here's the reaching out part, through them we are serving many people who have lost loved ones, feel the trauma of losing their homes, their families, and belongings, and who suddenly are cloistered in an office complex with 2,000 people and five toilets. Leadership, empowering, reaching out. People are truly our greatest resource that we have. And often it is the leader that we say is called by God. But I believe that God not only sees fit to call leaders who are in a spot to coordinate, to manage, to cast vision, but he has also seen fit to call other people as well to be part of that body, to be part of that group, that they can lead and serve in their own areas for the purpose of building up so that we can reach out. I believe that I have been called to this place and to this community. But I believe you have been as well. Just as much as I have been. The fact that I stand here and you sit there does not mean that I have any more of a calling to the community around us than anyone else that is here. We need you. We need your gifts. We need your passions. If we are going to look at the ministry and the mission that God has set before us and say we nailed it in a good way. So it leads me to a question. Do you know what your gifts are? Do you know what passions, what capabilities, do you know what experiences God has given to you? The Bible tells us that when a person places their faith in Jesus Christ, that they receive the forgiveness of their sins. And in that moment, they become this new creation. That in that moment, that the Spirit of God, that the Holy Spirit comes to dwell with that person. 
and the Holy Spirit does a variety of things. It gives them new life, this new spiritual life that happens when we are freed from our sins that, that we were singing about earlier, when death was arrested and my life began. It, that happens at the time the Holy Spirit comes to dwell with us. The Holy Spirit is the means by which we're adopted in the family of God. The Holy Spirit gives us these different virtues, sometimes referred to as the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, peace, love, joy, patience. But it also brings us into unity with one another. And as it brings us into unity with one another, it equips us. He equips us to be a blessing to one another. Now this equipping is sometimes referred to as spiritual gifts. Now Paul wrote about this a few times in all of his letters. Uh, one time in particular in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where he says that each person who is in the body of Christ, each person who is in the family of God, each person who has accepted that gift of forgiveness through Jesus Christ and is dwelt with the Holy Spirit, each of those people have different contributions to make to the church. And those contributions are empowered and directed by the gifts given by the Holy Spirit. Here's what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 4. He says there are different gifts but there is the same spirit that distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. You see, just as Paul wrote in Ephesians, this philosophy of why we do the good works that we are to equip people and to go forth and do. Just as in Ephesians, he gives us the kind of the philosophy behind that. Here, he shows that the gifts are the way through which a person does the work of the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on in this passage to provide kind of a sampling of, of gifts. He does this in verse 7. He says, Now to each one a manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge, to another faith, to another gifts of healing, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, to still another interpreting those tongues. All of these are the works of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Now this is not a comprehensive list. If you want to look at more of a comprehensive list of all the gifts that Paul speaks of, you have to look at Ephesians chapter 4, uh, Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And if you look at those three key passages, you see that there's about 15 spiritual gifts that Paul identifies in those writings. And while each person has a unique manifestation or a unique expression of those gifts, they, all of those gifts, all of those works are for the same Lord, for the same mission, for the same purpose, to build up and to reach out so we can live our lives so that this mission can be lived out through us. Now, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, if you are striving to follow him on a daily basis in your life, then the Spirit of God lives in you. And he has given you a manifestation. He has given you a gift. In my own life, when I look at my own personal capabilities, the insights that other godly people have called out in me, and the fruit from the works that I've personally been involved in, the gifts that are apparent in my life are leadership, apostleship, and administration, which fortunately are handy for a pastor. So that worked out well. Now, I can also tell you, though, that from knowing myself, and if you were to talk to those who have known me for a long time, these were not always present in my life. These are not things that I was just naturally, necessarily born with. But only when I aligned my life with God's calling 
did I reach a point where I found this new passion, joy, and incredible fulfillment when I live in those areas, when I can serve and minister and work in areas that use those gifts? So how about you? What are your spiritual gifts? How do you find out? And if you were to find out, how would you ever go about using them? Well, since empowering people is one of our core values, we want to help you to find your gifts. And so we've done some research. We've done some work to identify what we think is a solid and accessible spiritual gift assessment tool that we want to make available for all of you to use. Now, there's a few ways that you can access this. You can go to westmeadows.org. And just, you can't find it off the homepage, but if you were to type this into the address bar, westmeadows.org slash spiritual-gifts-test, it would take you to the page. We've put a link in the sermon notes, the online sermon notes that you have. There's a link right there for you. We're going to include this in the weekly email that goes out, uh, and possibly even an additional email with a quick link to access this so that you can go to the website, complete it, and find out for yourself what those gifts may be. Just some quick instructions. Oh, we also have uh, paper copies. Oh, good old paper copies. Available at the connection kiosk. Now, a couple instructions for you. If you go to the website, if you do the online version, when you, when you first get there, it'll ask you for some very basic contact information because they need a way to communicate back to you with the, what the results are. Also, some basic demographic information, uh, kind of age and gender, basically. And I think that's about all they ask. There's also an adult and a youth version when you get to that first registration page. And then when you start taking the test, it's simply going to ask you roughly 100 questions. The thing, and you'll agree on a scale of 1 to 5, either from um, like very inaccurate to very accurate. You just click on whatever the number may be. Statements like, I want to establish and equip new churches and or ministries. If you think God's called you to be a church planter and you have this burning passion to plant churches, you'd probably put a five on there. If you don't even know what church planting is and have zero interest in it, you'd put a one. So you go through and you fill all them in, just simply putting those numbers in the spots. If you uh, do it online, at the end, you submit and it's done. It'll generate a report. It'll email the report to you, telling you in order what those gifts are from highest to lowest, identifying your top three. At the same time, it will give you a description of what those are with, with scriptural references so you can understand it better and do a bit of a study into what that looks like. Now, if you do a paper version, um, just fill in the paper version, except the last, you don't need to do the scoring matrix on the back. Just do the questions and hand those back into the connection kiosk. Uh, we will then have uh, our office staff manually input those into the program for you so you still get that generated report that's there. So if you do the paper version, fill it on paper, and then hand it back to the connection kiosk or bring it to the office, and we will manually enter that in for you. Okay? Any questions on that, please come talk to me, Pastor Luke, and I'm pretty sure Shelly uh, is on top of those things as well. Now, you may have done this in the past. Um, if so, please, I want to encourage you to do it again. If you're like me, I've probably done 20 of these things throughout all of the schooling and stuff that I've done in the past, but I did this one as well. And it was interesting to, to go through it again for myself. First of all, I encourage you to do it again, or if you've never done it, to definitely do it. Because sometimes, sometimes things change a little bit. You see, some people have gifts that are static throughout their entire life. 
but other people have, have different empowerings through different seasons of life. And it's possible that you're in a different opportunity, a different ministry, different situations in your life right now that the Spirit is enabling you to handle and to move towards. And that would be revealed in the current process, the current test, as opposed to one you previously had done before. And the Spirit will equip you for the opportunity the adventures that are ahead of you. So let's identify what those current ones are. But secondly, it will provide you with this wonderful report to understand what the giftings are that you have. But it also provides me with a copy. Now, I promise I won't turn into a telemarketer <laughs> and call you up. Uh, hey, Susan, so we need some teachers in Sunday school. I promise I will not do that. Okay? Here's why we want to have a report for the church as a whole. We want to understand what our collective potential is. I'm not really that interested specifically in what every single individual person's top three are. What I am interested in is what are the top three of us as a church, as a whole. I want to understand where our strengths are as a whole there and where maybe some of our weaknesses are on these things. That helps us to not only understand our collective potential, but thirdly, the third reason I want you to do this is because it gives us a clear sense of ministry opportunities that we can be successful at. Remember I said at the beginning, you've got to take an inventory. Before we start and venture on any project, we've got to do an inventory. Do we have the right stuff to pull this off? This is one of those inventories that helps us understand as a church on the spiritual gifting level, what is it that God is moving us towards and what is he saying, you know, that's probably not the best course of direction for you. This is one of the ways we can take an inventory. So even though, yes, letting you know, full disclosure, we will get a report, that just a summary statement of the results, but it's not so we can keep tabs on you or harass you with, with our telemarketing. It's so we can understand our collective potential as a church as a whole. All right? So please, I personally want to ask you, encourage you to, uh, to take those steps and to fill in one of those assessments. You know, as, as we move to finish up here, there's a saying that was going through my mind as I was writing this message this week. And it's this, that, that whoever buries their talent is making a grave mistake. And, and how true this is for a lot of situations, but especially for Christians. Because each of us has a gift. And each of us has been given this gift. And, and, and I think we want to use it for God's glory. We know that's the purpose for it. But if we're honest... I also know a lot of us, if we admit it, we don't. Now, we may not have known we had a gift. We may not have known what that gift was, which was one reason we perhaps haven't developed it and used it. But other times we do know what it is, but we, we minimize the significance and the importance of the fact that we have these spiritual gifts. Either way, intentionally or not, I think it's the equivalent to burying that gift that we actually do have. And I want each of us to realize that God wants us to be involved in his work. He wants us to be involved in his work. So much so that he sent his son Jesus to come and to live, to teach, to be an example for us of what it looks like to follow in the will of the Father. So much so that Jesus followed the will of the Father to the cross. Where he gave his life to pay the price for your sins and for mine. That we could be set free from, from the separation that we experience from God because of our sins. And, and when the price of those sins were paid, when it was thrust upon Jesus on the cross and he paid the price. And then rose victorious on the third day as we were speaking earlier and we'll soon celebrate at Easter. In that moment, <clears throat> it became possible for us to be forgiven and brought into relationship with the Father. All who have accepted the forgiveness of Jesus Christ have been brought 
into relationship with the Father and given the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that the Father graciously gave to us and distributes gift to all those who are saved. Because he not only wants you to know him, he wants you to know the gifts and the callings and the purposes for which he has given you. And he expects us to use them and to grow in these for the purpose of building up and reaching out as a church. And if we do, I I can tell you personally and from the testimony of so many others, probably even many who are sitting around us, that when we understand what those giftings are and those callings, when we live our lives in that posture and in, in those gifts, there's a sense of personal joy, of fulfillment that we are serving where we are meant to be in the way we're meant to do. And, and it's amazing because you'll step back one day and go, that was so not me. That is not of me. That is not of my ability naturally, of my talent naturally. That is not something I know in myself I could have accomplished, but only God through me could have made that possible. And it's such a rewarding situation and experience to have. And if we will live in that position, that posture, then also the day will come when we will hear the words from our Lord when he says, well done, good and faithful servant. So I have two questions for you as we finish today. Two questions. What are your God-given gifts, passions, experiences? What are the things that, that reveal the works of service that God has prepared for you? And then secondly, where could you use them? Where could you use those to serve others and to bring him glory? You might be wondering, how does this bring him glory? Well, I'll finish with this by saying it brings him glory this way. When creation fulfills what it was created for, it brings God glory. When lightning is followed by thunder, when trees produce fruit, When rain waters the ground, when the sun warms the earth and it melts the snow, creation glorifies God by doing what it was created for. And when we seek to fulfill His will in our lives, when we seek to live out and live in and build up and reach out according to the gifts given to us, it glorifies Him as well.